What if you had a guide who could tell you how to bridge a gap between who you are today and who you're destined to be? What if each week you could hear a story of someone who has tried and succeeded, or perhaps tried and failed, but learned something in the process? Limitless Spirit is a weekly podcast where host Helen Todd interviews guests about topics and personal stories on defining life's purpose, pursuing personal growth, and developing a deeper faith in Christ. It's the strangest thing ever that you would take, okay, you have an American passport, you're married to somebody, maybe an Afghan national, and you've got three kids, and basically they say the American, you can go, but your three kids and family have to stay here. They did that to hundreds of people. We actually found out that uh, the passports that were at the embassy that were had people were all in process. The embassy burned all of their passports before they left. So now you've got a whole nother, you know, couple of thousand people floating around the country who had passports and the embassy burned them for them before they took, before they took off. Now embassy people, they got out. Why did they burn thousands of people's passports? And now these people can't go anywhere because the Taliban won't let you even fly without a passport. It's been over a month since the U.S. troops pulled out of Afghanistan, but there are still thousands of people left behind at high risk of being murdered or tortured by the Taliban because they're either U.S. citizens, permanent residents, Christians, or people who have cooperated with the U.S. military in the past. And while not much is being done by the U.S. government to resolve this crisis, there is a group of of U.S. veterans and civilians who formed a volunteer organization, Afghan Rescue Crew, to save as many vetted at-risk allies and Americans from Afghanistan as they can. Our guest on this episode is Jean-Marie Thrower, co-director of Afghan Rescue Crew. Jean-Marie has over 20 years of experience in both foreign and domestic business development and served in the Army's 82nd Airborne Division as an air and ground transportation field logistics officer. In this episode, Jean-Marie talks about the current rescue work their organization is doing on the ground and shares stories of people who have been saved from Afghanistan thanks to their efforts. Hello, Jean-Marie. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So you are a very interesting person. You are a business leader in the automotive industry, but currently you are involved in a very important rescue operation. Can you share a little more about that? Yes, we're involved in a group uh, called Plan B, Ask Afghan Rescue Crew, and we came together to um, help support these people that were left behind, including Americans, but a lot of these people that we worked with side by side for 20 years. we were I was on a LinkedIn group, and we just started talking about it, and then we're like, we need to get in there and do something, and we actually started calling our resources that were there on the ground, um, people that we knew just over years of working with them and started kind of forming a team together to try to help people get out and to keep them safe. Let me interrupt you for just a second. When you say we, who are we? So it's a lot of veterans. There's civilians, active duty. There's people that are just in in business. There's also a lot of um, faith-based organizations that are involved. 
to try to help get these get these people out. You yourself are a veteran. You served in the U.S. Army's 82nd Airborne Division, and so. I'm assuming this was in response to a very abrupt withdrawal of the troops from Afghanistan, or was that group formed prior to this occurrence? No, it was when everything's when when Kabul started to fall. When it fell in those eleven days, that's when everybody started to say, "Uh oh, this isn't going to go well." And we start. We really kind of watched the job of what the government administration did to to get people out. You could see just on day one, it was just. They had no organization, no plan. It was just going to be really, really bad. So that's when we started coming together and say, we're going to have to come up with a plan that is run in parallel uh, with what the administration was trying to do. Because you can just see just from even the simplest observation that it was definitely not ex- you know, executed well at all. So why do you think the decision was so abrupt without a plan? Part of it is just, I just think that they don't have good operation and management skills just in just that's a basic business observation because um they if they really wanted to stick with the August 31st date and not try to negotiate a better a better exit strategy plan they really didn't put a whole lot of focus on advanced planning or you know the structure of getting these people out where when you are going to evacuate a country you're like okay women and children first and the other thing that they did they told people, don't worry, we'll get you out. So what a lot of people thought is the government just said, don't worry, we'll get you out. And everybody in their mind says, well, I worked in the government or I'm a woman who's going to college or, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a woman's rights activist or I'm a Christian. And also you have the Hazaras. So all of these people probably thought they're talking to me right? <laughs> because the government said, we are going to get you all out. And then they didn't have a plan to get everybody out. And they didn't ha- have a strategy to do it in a way where people, you know, could have, they would have left earlier. If they would have said, listen, you need to go now, like back in like February, March, April, May, they could have said, listen, women and children go now. And what they did was they just let everybody sit back and think that the government's going to swoop in with two, 300 airplanes and very orderly and very nicely put all the people that were vetted on those planes and just bring them to the U.S. And when Kabul started to fall and different areas around the country started to fall, it went into mass sheer chaos pandemonium. And that's why we're in the situation that we're in. So they, the administration did a terrible job at managing any kind of strategy or plan. When they said that to the people, we were, we were going to get you out. The people believed it. So they sat back. And didn't really hustle to get out because they didn't think it was going to, they didn't, they weren't worried about it. So let's talk about these people who got left behind. So the news media says American citizens and the people who cooperated with the U.S. government uh, while the troops were present in Afghanistan. When we talk about American citizens, are they naturalized Afghani citizens or Are they U.S. citizens who were born in the United States or how did they end up in Afghanistan and why did they get left behind? A lot of people got onto those planes that should never, that were never vetted. And they were just opening up the gates and trying to let people in. And I have no idea why they did that either, except for everybody was trying to make a run for the the airport. And so you had a lot of people 
that were supposed to be on the plane that could never get through the gates. And so those are the people that are stuck there now. And those are besides the Christian groups and the Zaras who are just going to, who are persecuted under Taliban and the Sharia law situation. You've got, you had Americans, S-1 visa applicants, legal permanent residents, people that have applied and all of their, um, we actually found out that uh, the passports that were at the embassy that were had people who were all in process, the embassy burned all of their passports before they left. So now you've got a whole nother, you know, couple of thousand people floating around the country who had passports and the embassy burned them for them before they, t- before they took off. Now, embassy people, they got out, you know, of course, but they screwed over everybody else. So why did the embassy do that? It, good question. That's a good question. Why, why did they burn thousands of people's passports? And now these people can't go anywhere because the Taliban won't let you even fly without a passport. So even if you didn't do anything wrong and the, and the, and the Taliban isn't even interested in you, um, you can't leave because you don't have a passport and you can't, you can't apply for anything. Like people's documents were burned. Wow. So th- like I said, bad, really terrible planning on this administration's, And it's almost like they did it because I don't know if they did it on purpose, but I think that they are just bad in general at management of anything. And look at the border, you know, down in Texas and all that. I mean, that's another example. Right. It's just bad leadership. Let's talk about the dangers that the people who were and are left behind are facing. And by the way, how many people do you think are still left behind as far as U.S. citizens and uh, permanent residents? Well, last week, it was about five to 600 U.S. Uh, legal permanent residents, I'd say another thousand. And then S-1 visa holders, Definitely a few thousand there. You, you know, I think the solid number is between ten and 15,000 people total that really should have been evacuated based off of different levels of national security and their experience and what they did for the government, what we promised them we'd get them out, that kind of stuff. And so what kind of dangers are they facing? Well, anybody that was in the government in key positions, they are, first of all, what they do is they find you and then they torture you to find out all the names of all the people that were on your team or what they did and make you write a list. And then they keep you alive in case they need to torture you some more for some more information, but eventually they kill you. Then they go after people, anybody that was associated with the military, especially interpreters. And a lot of these interpreters and people that supported us the U.S., you got to remember, they when they were going on raids to the Taliban and trying to fight over the years, those interpreters were side by side with our troops. And a lot of times these interpreters sometimes had to sh- shoot the Taliban, too. So the Taliban knows these guys killed some of their people. So that's where they get, you know, they um, they do a lot of bad stuff to them. They do a lot of painful and torture and the beheadings and the, you know, cutting off limbs and pulling out fingernails before they kill them killing their family in front of them before they killed them as well, including women and children, young children being beheaded in front of their uh, the father, and then the father gets beheaded. So a lot of that going on, I mean, just on a daily basis. I mean, for the Taliban, a beheading is just a normal Tuesday, you know, for them. And they put a group of men, I think that they were military-type people, in a um, container, like a, seat, a shipping container. And then they um, set fires on underneath of that and basically cooked them all alive. So those are just some examples 
women getting burned, a lot of rapes and beatings going on for women as well. Let's talk about Christians. Uh, does Taliban specifically target Christians? Yes, they do. We've had a lot of Christians that are act- actively being hunted. We've had some of them get beat up really bad. We've had some of them that we believe have been killed because we've lost contact with them. And we were talking with them on a daily, regular basis to be like a lifeline for them. But we've had a lot of Christians killed there because they they do not, you know, they're, they're considered, you know, infidels. So that's not good. And the same thing with the Hazaras. The Hazara group, we have a province where almost every, all Hazaras were kicked out of their homes um, and all their homes were given to Taliban people and they're basically homeless. And I think also, too, some of those uh, were killed as well. In front of their, they even kill, kill them in front of the families and in front of their kids or they'll kill the whole family. So they have a special special kind of uh, pain and torture that they definitely want to inflict retribution against Christians. And I, we know of some women, some Christian women who were um, targeted and uh, followed and they were raped um, repeatedly and beaten. And we were able to get them. Not, it wasn't like a really a rescue, but somehow we were able to get them out of that situation or they were able to get away. And then we got them uh, some hospital care and support. Um, there's a lot of women there also being raped. It's a new law now. If you're over 18, you have to marry somebody in the Taliban. So everybody has to get married if you're over 18. And then, of course, they have the child bride, which they which they don't announce that in the in the new laws. But that, that's an unknown and unspoken situation where they, the young girls are taken and given to the Taliban men. And they're um, basically, you know, raped at, at a young age. And, you know, there's they're the property of the Taliban people. But legally, like on in writing and on the news there, they've said anybody over 18 will be married to a Taliban male. They took first through third grade female teachers, sent them home and replaced all of them with male Taliban teachers for the first through third graders. So that's been implemented as of, I think, about two weeks ago. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues going on. Um, But, yes, the Christians for sure are are targeted. So Afghan Rescue Crew was formed to do what our government failed to do, and it's offer protection and safety to the people who need it desperately, who deserve it because they've helped uh, the U.S. government previously or just because they're the citizens of the United States. So I'm not going to be too nosy not to reveal your techniques and tactics, but um, uh the, the veterans that formed ARC, are they on the ground or you have local people on the ground doing the rescue operations? So we did have some people there on the ground for us when before the, the U.S. final day, the final day of you know, when they exited. So we did have some people there and then they, they eventually, you know, took off too and left because they were like, hey, you know, it's time for us to go as well. But then at the same time, we formed relationships with the Afghan nationals that are there that are helping and doing their protection. And I, there's actually still a few Americans there that are doing um, running some support operations until they can be evacuated as well, because they're kind of like, OK, I think I can probably get out on the last planks. I am an American. I have a blue passport kind of thing. And so they're staying and helping out in some of our situations. But it's a very limited, small group. What type of rescue are you able to do? Are you 
taking them to safe locations? Are you flying them out of the country? How how do you provide that rescue? Well, the the best way everybody wants to go is to fly because it's you get you know you can fly away and, and land in another country and, and try to regroup and and, ta- and figure out whether you are a refugee or if you hey I've got a passport to I'm a British citizen and they can just catch a commercial flight and, and just go home on their own. So we obviously flying them out has been the number one. The problem that we had about three or four weeks ago is when they left on the 31st of August. The government told all of the countries around us, as well as even, you know, in Europe and so on, I mean, that they said, don't accept any flights from Afghanistan. So they basically shut us down, shut down our ability to leave. They wouldn't let any other commercial flights come into Afghanistan. So there's no, there's no uh, like Delta or American Airlines or anything like that, uh, being or Lufthansa being able to come into that country. So you have only really one or two Afghan national type airlines that were even allowed to fly in and out. They have restrictions. They, they can't land in any country because nobody's allowed letting them land. So you basically, we pretty much didn't move for almost three weeks. Nobody flew, anybody, anywhere. And then finally there was, after negotiations with some, some key countries, there were like, okay, we got to, you know, Doha, and these are all private groups that are doing it. And I think there was one flight that was negotiated by the Department of State. And they what they did was they got all their people out. So the, the Department of State went around and handpicked the people that they wanted to live. And they made sure that they got them on an airplane. And then they like took a bunch of pictures. And, you know, it was all over the news. And it was like, yay, success story. And I'm like, okay, that's not a success story. Because you just got the people you wanted to get out and left everybody else still again. And it was just all for publicity. I think it wasn't, it didn't, I don't even think there was like more than like eight Americans on there. And then they said there was like 118. And, and I mean, some people that we know really well saw the manifest and they were like, no, there's like eight Americans. So it's just, you know, the lies continue, you know, the cover up continues. And I think, you know, they don't want anybody to get it out because they, if you don't have any witnesses that you don't have a story. So if we're just all left there, and nobody ever hears from us again, then it just, the story dies and goes away. But if we all get out and we're all mad and we're all talking about it, the story's not going to go away. And I think the story's not going to go away also because we're doing like podcasts with you, getting this real message out. And also a lot of people around the world are really, really mad because we all had friends there. And these were our brothers and sisters. And we gave them a Western culture and then in the middle of the night, we threw them into a cage with a lion and we shut the door. And that's exactly what happened. So since you're not able to get them out by air, are you able to get them across the border by land? Or right now you're focusing on hiding them and protecting them in the country? So when we started to, there was some movements at different times. There's been ability to get across the borders. And we told everybody, we're like, if you can go to a border and get across, go for it. Um, if you can. And it's a lot of people did that and people got out that way. But then all of the borders around us started shutting down. And it's not just the Taliban that, that didn't want to let people out. It's the border countries around us who were like, you know, basically saying we're not taking anybody else. In certain, certain cases, if you got into a certain country, um, primarily Pakistan is, they actually, if they captured you, they would send you back 
to Afghanistan for breaking the law of leaving without a visa. So, you, you know, if you get caught in another country even, then they basically ship you right back in to the place you just tried to get out of. And then they just turn you over to the Taliban and the Taliban just beheads you right there on the side of the road. I mean, it's pretty bad if you do all that work to try to get out and then you still end up, you know, dead and back in Afghanistan or back in Afghanistan. So can you give me an example of a story of a successful rescue, you know, without without giving away details? Yeah, so we, we did have a guy in Mazar who has been definitely, um, just with his position um, in the government, he was definitely being hunted, and we had to move him around quite a bit. It's him and his wife and four kids. And just five days ago, they made it to, that we were able to get them on a plane in Mazar Sharif and get them into uh, Abu Dhabi, into the into United Arab Emirates. That one, you know, that's a really huge success story for us just because we, you know, we knew that, I mean, he was going to definitely be killed and his family probably was too. So it was really nice to just be able to, he sent us pictures, of course, you know, like I made it, I'm alive. I'm sure our listeners will want to know how they can help. I mean, I am so impressed by what you guys are doing because just like everyone who watched this story unravel, and because our organization is a missions organization that works in the hotspots around the world, my heart goes out to these people. So what is the scope of work that they're, you're helping them and how can people help you and support you? So what we're doing is, is we are um, on our website, ARC, um, A-R-C, planb.org. You can um, go on there. There is, first of all, if you have somebody that's there that needs help or they're trapped, um, let us know that. And uh, we have, an, we have a, a way to get them into our system and track them and try to figure out a way to get them out. We're having to send these people money to help them live. There's no banks. There's no, I mean, you can send through like MoneyGram. There's no food. There's very, very limited supplies coming in. So these people are in safe houses or maybe they had to leave their house and they're actually at somebody else's house and they got to pay them for, for that. So that's goes towards that support as well as security and helping us pay for airplanes and helping us pay for buses helping us pay for the visas that we have to. Sometimes these people don't have money for a visa because their their banks completely shut down. So we're trying to pay for their visas to get to other countries so that they can have the ability to get on a plane. We're trying to help them pay for passports to other countries that we have to pr- pay processing fees for a passport, just like, you know, everybody has, like everybody else does. When you uh, determine uh, the the people that you're going to help, do you have some kind of a vetting process uh, in place or you get them to the places where they're being vetted? We we vetted everybody that we put on a plane. We vet them first, but they still end up in another country to be vetted as well. You know, that's standard procedure for, you know, Rescue 101 is that they're definitely being vetted by all of our groups. Now, the government... When the, they, everybody made a run on uh, Hakaya Airport, I don't think that they vetted anybody and they let them all in the country. So I do believe that you have a lot of people in the U.S. now that are very dangerous. And we've had reports even of murderers getting out, rapists, child rapists that are circulating now around these places, these camps in the U.S. So and some of them, I think, have even been released out of those camps. So if you look at even the south border, kind of that process. 
I mean, you can see it's being done all over the place. Right. And um, are you um, able to say what are some of the countries where you take the the refugees? So um, I know Albania said they would take refugees, but you would have to get landing rights there. And I believe Kosovo and also Uganda. Um, those are all places. And then there is a humanitarian city that's in Abu Dhabi and in uh, United Arab Emirates. And they really, really have done a super, super nice job. So I'd really, I'm hoping that I can get some people into their humanitarian city because it's really nice. And it's a really, it's would be nice to get some of our people in there because, you know, obviously being in a humanitarian camp can be a little bit also, you know, you're basically, there's still a, still fences up, you know, they can't let you go out in the normal population. So, And so that leads to my next question. What is the future for them when you help them to escape, you know, to these other countries, be it Albania or Kosovo or even United Arab Emirates? What What is the future for them in that country? Well, I mean, they're basically just got to be resettled. And um, I believe that Congress passed um, a bill for that. I think it's going to the Clinton Foundation. So the Clintons are going to get a lot of money to help these people relocate. But we'll see if they really get the money or, or who ends up with the money. So, we, you know, they have to be reestablished. Oh, wow. Yeah, they have to be reestablished. And um, usually some of these foundations, I mean, they look good on paper, but I personally think that they keep 90% of the money and only 10% makes it to the people who really need it. So that's just my, you know, in general, my comment about some of these organizations. The job isn't over. These people really have been destroyed. They've been under the last, you know, six, seven weeks threatened and scared. They've lost a lot of family members that have been killed. They're, they're, they've been traumatized. They need therapy also. As Jean-Marie said, the job is not over. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are still in grave danger in Afghanistan, hiding in safe houses. Those who have been rescued need a place to live and a way to start a new life. I was so excited to hear that Jean-Marie mentioned Albania and Kosovo among the countries where they're relocating the refugees. As you know, this podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance, and we work in 29 nations around the world. In many of these countries, we work with the refugees and displaced individuals, and Kosovo and Albania happen to be among those nations. This conversation made me think that regardless of what our government does or does not do, we as Christians have a responsibility to lend a helping hand to those who are in need. And now we have the opportunity to join efforts with ARC in these nations. To find out more about the Afghan rescue crew, go to their website, arcplanb.org. To find out how you can partner with WMA in different ways to help the refugees, click on the link below that will take you to the appropriate page on our website. By the way, if you want to check out the opportunities how you can become involved in the Great Commission, check out our website, rfwma.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Limitless Spirit Podcast. Until next time, I'm Helen Todd. Limitless Spirit Podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance. We believe that changed lives change lives. 
If you want to see your life transformed by Christ's love, or if you want to help those who are hurting and hopeless and discover your greater purpose in serving Christ through short-term missionary work, check out our website, rfwma.org, and find out how to get involved.